If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to get it out. If you need one, there's some on the, in the, on the table in the lobby. If you're at home, and bring it up on your app or uh, get it off the shelf because we're going to be in Daniel uh, chapter 10 today. Here's a question. Why is the world the way that it is? Here's the thing. Uh, everybody's got a theory on that question, right? Why is the world? Why do we see the things we see in this world? Why are people the way they are? Why do the things that happen in this world happen? Some people have a theory that uh, maybe it's the evils of communism that have caused all of this, and it's our propensity to move in that direction. That's what the problem is. Or it's the opposite side of things, and it's capitalism that is the root of all evil, and we just got to get rid of this nasty desire to make lots of money, and the world will be a much better place. Uh, maybe the problem is racism. It's the inequality of income and inequality of opportunity that uh, uh, is in this world. I mean, look at your Facebook feed, right? If uh, you, look, you, you scroll through there, you see all kinds of theories um, about uh, the in different intentions of the different forces at work in this world and what this all means for our reality. And some of these theories, obviously, are more um, probable and more realistic than others, and some are just like, I can't believe somebody thinks that. That's crazy. Um, what's the Christian answer to that question, why is the world the way it is? Hmm. Sin? Probably good Sunday school answer. Oh, it's sin. Well, yeah, that's true. The, the fall is what we refer to, right? This, the fallen state of man is the cause of this world and the things that happen in it. Um, that's true, for sure. But here's the thing. The Bible says that's not the whole story. Question. How many people are in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 in the story of the fall of man? How many people are there? Two, maybe people say, well, two, Adam and Eve. How many beings are in the garden? Three? Um, actually, you know what? Um, the answer is uh, four. There's four beings in the garden when this story goes down. There's Adam, and there's Eve, and there's God, and then there's this other being that is there. This, this being that's an integral part in the fallenness of humanity. And we find out from the Bible that the world is the way it is, um, in large part also because of the direct actions of this being in the garden. So the question is, who is this being? What is this being? This, who is this being that was such a large part of what happened and went down in the garden? First of all, well, he must be a created being. He is part of God's creation. Because here's the reality is nothing can exist that is not part of God's creation. God created everything. Anything that exists, if it exists, then it exists as part of his creation and under his sovereign rule. Nothing exists that was not created by him, including this being that is in the garden with Adam and Eve talking with God. But notice this, it's, it's, it's a created being, but it's, it's not a man or a woman. 
It's, it's not God. It's not the same as God. It's not the same as Adam and Eve. It's not a human. Well, we were learn later in the Bible, okay, that there are actually many such beings that have been created by God. How many, do you think? That's a good question. Nobody really has the answer, but um, at least millions, um, if not tens or hundreds of millions or even billions of these creatures that God has created. Um, who are these beings who are not humans, but seem to share some similar traits with us, according to the Bible, and yet also so incredibly different than us in many ways? And how about some follow-up questions to this reality that the Bible presents us with? These beings, what are they doing? Do they do the thing? Are they cruising Facebook and watching Netflix too? Do they, where, do they, where do they go to work? What's their program in life? Are they just sitting around watching or they got work to do? What, what does this world that we see and the world that interacts with us and our history, what does that look like from their perspective? That would be another question. Now... The Bible has many things to say about this subject, um, many answers to those kinds of questions, but we're not going to be able to cover all of those answers uh, today for sure. That's a very big subject. The Bible doesn't give us all the answers for sure, but it does give more than people might think. And I just mentioned this um, idea that they are, must be created beings. The thing is, we don't know exactly where in the order of creation they appear. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 tells us about creation, um, but the, these beings don't appear in the record. But we do uh, get this uh, mention of them in the book of Job. I don't know if you remember that story, but some things happened to Job, and Job's questioning God. God. Why do you let things happen the way they happen, and why is this happening to me? And God kind of brings them up short, and he says, who do you think you are? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, Job 38 says, as God calls Job to account. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Um, who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases stunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When this happened, it says, who did? where were you when... All the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Somehow, these created beings witnessed the creation of everything, and they sang for joy together. Reality is, the Bible teaches there is another part of creation that we can't quite see. And this unseen part of creation has an effect on our visible world. And I, I get it. We live in Western, secular society. It's been like this for decades and centuries here in this part of the world. But I bet you, you know some people, or maybe you are somebody who's been somewhere else in this world. It's not quite like it is here. And things are much more open in other places to the reality of this unseen world around us and the effect that it has on our world. Because it certainly does. So... These unseen beings, uh, God calls them Elohim. That just means a spiritual being, an, an Elohim. 
uh, not to be confused with the Elohim, uh, Yahweh. There's only one Yahweh. There's only one God, but there are other spiritual beings that God has made. And the Bible's answer to why the world is the way it is is because of what happened in the garden and its effects on all of God's creation. The effect of sin on the gar- in the garden, the effect of sin on Adam and Eve and our visible world, and the effect of the sin of the garden on this other being that was there and on the unseen world to which he belongs. Now, I say all of this today as we open Daniel 10, because in this story, Daniel catches a glimpse of what's behind the curtain. You know, the old uh, um, uh, Wizard of Oz thing, right? Let's pull back the curtain and see what's really going on here. And God gives Daniel a glimpse behind the scenes of the agenda of this world, of the unseen things of this world. Um, One little caution as we broach this subject. There's a, there's a lot we don't know. Okay? We've we got to be okay with that. There's a lot the Bible does not tell us on this subject. But what it does tell us, we should know. Because, uh, hey, how about the fact that just this is the Word of God and we should know what it says. We say we believe this book, we should know what it says. But we should also um, know it better. We should also know what this book says about this reality because it would really help us understand this world better, wouldn't it? Now, we don't want to spend a lot of time speculating um, on the things that the Bible doesn't talk about. God has told us everything we need to know about this world for now, this unseen world. And more speculation is going to be unhelpful at best, or it could even lead to some harm. So, Daniel chapter 10, as we get a glimpse into this other world. Let's uh, just take a second and pray before we do that. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you have explained things that we could never know, and you have revealed hidden things and mysteries to us that um, without you, we would be entirely blind to. God, we thank you that you are in control of all of these things, and you have revealed them to us in your word and through your servants and through your servant Daniel. And as we open your word today, we ask that your spirit would move in us and we would know you better today. We would know who you are and what you're doing, and we would love you more deeply. In the name of our Savior, we ask this. Amen. Okay, so we're at the point in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Okay, so uh, this is probably right near the end of Daniel's life. He'd be mid-80s by now, for sure. And we've already seen the visions that God has given to Daniel. And at the end of his life, he's going to give Daniel one more revelation. Now, the thing about this revelation is that begins in Daniel chapter 10 is it's three chapters long. So this is a, this Daniel 10, Daniel 11, and Daniel 12 are all one story, and we're not going to be able to cover it all in one day unless we want to all stay here all afternoon, which I don't think we do. Um, so we're just going to cover the beginning today, and then we'll get into the actual message that this guy brings uh, next week. And again, this is just more detail about what God has already been building here. He's already, we've already talked about the, the empires of the Middle East and what's going to happen after Babylon and Greece. And uh, then, then there's also the, 
the king, the four beasts that rise up within the fourth kingdom and the little horn and the king of bold faith, all these things that have already been mentioned are going to be articulated even more as we go through the next three chapters. Daniel 10, chapter 1, is kind of an opening statement. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, that's about 536 B.C., about two years after Daniel in the lion's den, most likely, a word was revealed to Daniel. Okay? Um, a subject was revealed, a matter. There's something that has been revealed, a, a subject, a word, was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. And this word, this vision, this statement, this matter, it's true, it says. And the substance of it was a great conflict. It means great warfare. The thing that is revealed, the word is about Great warfare is what he's saying there. Then it finishes with, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So remember the other visions? Daniel's like, I don't know what's going on here. I can't understand this at all. Somebody explain this to me. Well, this one was so clear, apparently, that Daniel understood it. And uh, we're going to see this vision over the next couple of weeks. Now Daniel's going to go on to tell the story of how this vision came about. In verse 2 it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning uh, for three weeks. And I ate no delicacies, nor meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. Okay, so one question we could ask is, why is Daniel mourning? Um, nobody really knows for sure the answer to this, but here's something. We've got to remember, what was just happening? Two years ago, Daniel was praying for his people. His people are in exile in Babylon. They're 70 years, and he reads in the prophet Jeremiah, hey, this is uh, only going to be 70 years, and after 70 years, I'm going to bring you all back to Jerusalem. Well, two years have gone by, and reality is, two years before this, Cyrus, when he comes to power, Cyrus the Persian emperor, had given already a decree for the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, and it's been two years and reality is, we know from history, most of them didn't go. Most of them just stayed in Babylon, content with their lives there. And I think what's probably going on here is Daniel is continuing in his prayer for his people. Continue, because this angel's gonna, the angels are going to come, they're going to talk to Daniel about his people and the future of the people. He's a guy who's very concerned, and he's still mourning over his people. And here we find, this is the, um, in those days I was mourning for three weeks, no delicacies, um, no meat. Um, okay, I'm right there. That diet is out for me. I want the extra meat diet. Um, I don't know how Daniel would do this for two days, let alone three weeks. But apparently, he's not eating anything. The idea is no fancy stuff, just bread and water, basically. I'm gonna. That's kind of the fast that he's programmed with, or on the program here with. And then I did not anoint myself at all for three full weeks. Okay, so they don't uh, have right guard and uh, Dove uh, shampoo and, and things like that. So the way that they kind of handled all their hygiene stuff was to cover themselves with oil to protect their skin and also to cover up the smell a little bit, but uh, Daniel wasn't even doing that. And so he's mourning for three weeks. He's on a fast for three weeks. and He, he doesn't look after himself uh, appearance-wise for three weeks. And then in verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, isn't that like, God, just, I'll just give you the exact day that this happens. The first month is the month of Nisan in the Jewish calendar. It's the month that Passover happens. So he's been all going through Passover, um, fasting and praying 
and mourning. And on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. So the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers are in Babylon. Uh, in modern-day Iraq, they're still there. And Daniel's out there standing on the bank of the river. Don't know why, if he's working or vacationing or having a picnic. or I, We don't know, but he's, some, he's on this river. It's the 24th day of Nisan, in the third year of the reign of king of Persia. Verse 5, And I lifted up my eyes and looked... And behold, a man clothed in linen with a fine belt of gold from Uphaz around his waist. So Daniel's on the banks of the river, looks up, and he sees this man, he says. Then he goes on to describe this man. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of of a multitude, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So, apparently, uh, the, there's some people with them, they see that there's something happening, some, some kind of dread falls on them, they run away, Daniel sees this being. Now, there's two schools of thought on this chapter here. Um, is this being the one that continues on in the story? Because we're going to see some interactions between Daniel and some beings. Is this the first one uh, part of that, or is this something that just Daniel saw and then it was gone? I think that makes more sense that what Daniel is seeing here is he's seeing the one to whom his prayers are going, to, to whom his attention has been focused on his entire life, really. Daniel's a man of prayer and he's been praying about this and the person that is answering his prayer is revealed to Daniel it's God himself here just think about the remarkable similarity to this from of this description to what the apostle John sees in the book of revelation when God reveals himself to John it's very very similar and John's in heaven and this is what he says uh, then i turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and he sees one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Remarkably similar to this vision here that Daniel gets. And look, even the effect is the same. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me, he says in verse 8. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. It means like my face even turned white. My face fell. I retained no strength, and I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Sounds like a very similar reaction to what John had and what Isaiah had and what Ezekiel had, what other people in the Bible have always had happen to them when they actually catch a glimpse of the king. What happens to them happens to Daniel. Basically, he passes out. I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. He's like, I'm done. Down he goes, out like a light, face in the dirt. Everyone else ran away. Verse 10. And behold, 
a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So Daniel's passed out. Somehow he feels a hand touch him, and he is able to get up onto his hands and knees, it says in verse 10. Can't, can't even get up yet. At least I can get my face out of the dirt and kind of get up on my hands and knees. And then he hears this being speak to him, the one that touched him and helped him be revived a little bit. It says in verse 11, And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. This being comes to Daniel, um, wake up, I've got some stuff to tell you. He reveals that he has been sent to Daniel. He's there because someone has sent him to give Daniel a message. I think it's a picture of the first being that is sending this message to Daniel. And this angel comes, I use the term angel loosely, but comes and touches Daniel. Daniel revives and he says, hey, I've been sent to tell you something. The spiritual world has responded to your prayers. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, now that this being is going to explain some things, he's going to mention some of the realities that he is living with, and he says this in explanation to Daniel, because here's the thing. He said, the first day that you started to pray about this. That was three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, we heard you, Daniel. Three weeks ago, I was sent. But why has it taken this long? Well, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. It's a reference to this spiritual world around us. It's not the, the, the prince of Persia, the Cyrus. We already know who Cyrus is. He's talking about this in the spiritual world, there is this being referred to here as the prince of Persia, who's holding this other being back from accomplishing his mission. He, he was sent, and then he was stopped by his enemy, this prince of Persia, withstood me 21 days. But Michael, he's introducing another character into the story, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So he's describing this situation of this battle that's going on that Daniel can't see. None of us can see it. But God, the heaven is responding to Daniel, and the response has been held up by these beings, the kings and the prince of Persia. And then this other being, Michael, comes and helps this angel deal with his opposition and frees him up. And now, verse 13, I have came to make you understand some things. Now notice... The subject of this vision is the same as all the rest. I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. It's always the same in Daniel. It's what about your people, God? What about Israel? What about the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What's going to happen to them? And the explanations are always around that, and they are about the latter days, the last days, the end of the eschaton is what it's called. And he says, for, this, for the vision is for days yet to come. He doesn't want Daniel confused. I've got a message. This is going to be about your people, and it's going to be about the end of the age. 
Well, continue, verse 15. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. Notice, um, Daniel's still having a really hard time here, right? Eh? He's on his hands and knees. Um, now this guy spoke to him, and now he, he still can't talk. He can't even look up. Verse 16, and behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Okay, apparently there's somebody else there, something else there. And this being reached out, and he touches him on the mouth. Kind of reminds you of maybe Isaiah chapter 6, when the angel comes and touches Isaiah's mouth so that he can speak. Same idea here. And then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who stood before me. Okay, this is good. Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. This kind of sounds a little confusing here, but basically Daniel's saying, like, I can't deal with this. I, this is, I'm totally freaked out. I can't talk. I can't understand. I can't, I can't have this. Anybody ever have like a panic attack at some time where something just happens and it just throws you for such a loop? You're just like, I, I, I don't, you don't know how to stand. You don't, your vision goes out. You can't speak. You can't interact. You can't respond. You can't say anything intelligent. It's only happened to me a couple of times. Um, probably when I'm standing at the altar waiting for Carolyn to walk down, that would have been a good time. That's, the, that's kind of the feeling. Like, I can't believe this is happening. I don't even know what to do about this. I, I can't function. That's what's happening here. Daniel's like, I can't do it. You might as well talk to the wall because I can't understand anything you're saying. My strength, no strength remains in, with me, remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, whether it's the same one or another one. Apparently, there's a few around. So he helps him out again. And he says, verse 19, O man greatly loved, again, reassuring Daniel. Like, Daniel, we're here for you. We're here because God loves you. Fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Almost like the same thing that God told Joshua going into the promised land, right? Be strong and courageous. I'm on your side. And, he's, and as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Okay, so now with a lot of help from these messengers, Daniel is able to actually hear what is going to be spoken to him. And so the angel speaks up, this being that's in front of him to, with the message that he's been sent to deliver. Then he said, verse 20, do you know why I have come to you? Okay, that kind of sounds a bit weird, but it's just the language that makes it here. It's, he's really saying, okay, Daniel, now, remember why I'm here. That's what he's saying. Do, do, remember I'm on your side. Remember I'm bringing a message to you. But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of the truth. There is no one who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Chapter 11. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Okay. So what he's doing here is, is remember why I'm here. I'm here because I have a message for you. And then he gives a bit more background into his activities and his world. He says, um, uh, when I'm done here, I'm going to go back 
again and battle in Persia with the prince of Persia. And when I go out, then, then the, this, another being called the prince of Greece is going to come. And he's going to get involved. And then he says this, There's no one who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And I've been at this with Darius for three years now. As for me, in the first year of Darius' meet, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. I've been working on this for three years. Me and Michael are the only ones contending for your people in this situation right now. We're fighting against the powers of the empires around us, the un both seen and unseen. And when I'm done giving you this message, I've got to get back to work in this battle. But first, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. And in chapter 11, verse 2, it says, And now I will show you the truth. And then begins a very, very long statement by this being about the future of Daniel's people and the latter days of them in this world. That's the story of Daniel chapter 10. Does this sound a little far-fetched? Maybe? Sound like it's something you might see on the site, the FX channel, sci-fi channel on TV. See, um, the Bible is okay in this world, right? Christianity is even okay in this world if it's uh, talking about how it's just about being good people, it's about being kind to one another, it's putting other people first. That's the that's an okay message from Christianity, right? In the Bible, even even in some ways, the message of salvation. Um, from evil and the evils of this world and salvation from the evil in our own hearts. That's even somewhat reasonable to the world around us. It's not um, super controversial. But an invisible spirit world that is watching us and working behind the scenes to accomplish nefarious intentions against humanity... That might be a tad off the charts for what people might consider to be real. It might even make some of us, some Christians, uncomfortable. This is one of those things that the Bible teaches that's not always easy to accept and believe. But this, this idea of an unseen world at work influencing ours behind the scenes. But when you really think about it, don't you think it must be true? It's, that's got to be what's happening in this world. Because reality is, isn't there stuff that goes on that we see that just does not make any sense. Have we not all heard or read stories of something so evil or so senseless? Something you're just like, I cannot believe that someone would be engaged in that level of evil and depravity and hatred and violence, corruption. When you think of the insanity of some of the beliefs that this dark world around us espouses, when you think of how easily violence and hatred can flare up over nothing, anywhere, just nonsensical violence and hatred, when you catch a glimpse of the corruption of power and the corruption of finances behind the forces of our societies in this world. Don't you sometimes just shake your head and go, this, there must be something behind all this. This is too crazy. There must be something happening here we can't see. 
Well, the Bible's affirmation is that yes, yes, there is. The Bible actually says that the story of the unseen world is intimately intertwined with the world that we see with our world. In fact, the Bible says that we should be aware of this reality around us in the unseen world because that is where our enemies actually are. Our enemies aren't the other people here with us. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where our enemies, Paul affirms that this is the reality of what's going on. We have enemies that are beyond our ability to even perceive sometimes, and they are at work, and they are effective. Here's something that's interesting. If we flip back a couple of pages, that was in Ephesians chapter 6. A couple of chapters earlier in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul gives an explanation for this world that sometimes we overlook. Paul's talking about himself, and he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister. Okay, just talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation of humanity from sin. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then he says this, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see that? One of the most amazing things that the Bible reveals to us is that the world in which we live is actually a battlefield upon which God is demonstrating to heaven that he is the undisputed Lord of heaven. The unfolding story of humanity is the way that God is showing his absolute superiority, his multifaceted wisdom to the rulers and authorities of this unseen world. The Bible is clear. There is a world that we see around us that God is at work in accomplishing his plan. But there is also an unseen world that permeates ours, and God is equally at work in that world as well. Doing what he said he would do there, just like he does what he said he would do here. Accomplishing everything he decided before the foundation of all of creation itself. That's what the Bible teaches. The band's going to come. One day, this very real but unseen world is going to come crashing into ours. And that's good news. Because, hey, um, our king is the king of kings. And he's the lord of all lords. And he is the ruler of both heaven and earth. He holds all the authority in both the visible and the invisible realms. He rules them all. 
remember I've, I say this over and over again. It's one of the themes of the Bible, right? God never loses anything. And back on that day in the garden, one of the morning stars may have led a rebellion against God and may have even appropriated God's creation in some ways for himself. But his days and the days of his kingdoms are numbered because God is one day going to take it all back. He never loses anything. And he who sits right now on the throne of God in heaven today will one day arrive here on this earth and his kingdom is coming with him and he will sit on the throne of God on earth. And this world will become what it's supposed to be, the garden of God. And God will once again, as he designed it in the beginning to be, God will once again dwell with his people in his garden. And no matter what it looks like in this world today, no matter what we may be facing next week or next year, no matter what it may look like in the kingdoms of this world and our future in them, our God is at work in this world on all fronts and his work is awesome to see as he is bringing all of history, the history of heaven and the history of earth together into an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of his son and our Lord. And one day, the song of the throne room of heaven that is being sung right now will become the song that fills the earth. Because God's son has conquered all. He has come once and he has defeated sin and he has defeated death and he has purchased eternal life for all who bow to him and proclaim him king in this world. And when he defeated the grave 2,000 years ago, he went back to the world of heaven and he made his triumphal entry into the throne room of heaven, victorious over all opposition. And a new song broke out in heaven that day as all observe the king take his rightful place on the throne. And we read it in Revelation chapter 5, it says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The kingdoms, both of them, are coming. What a great day that will be.